U.S. troops as well as forces deployed by our NATO allies and operational partners will be out of Afghanistan before we mark the 20th anniversary of that heinous attack on September 11th, but will not take our eye off the terrorist threat. We'll reorganize our counterterrorism capabilities and the substantial assets in the region to prevent reemergence of terrorists the threat to our homeland from over the horizon. We'll hold the Taliban accountable for its commitment not to allow any terrorist to threaten the United States or its allies from Afghan soil. The Afghan government has made that commitment to us as well. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. The U.S. invaded Afghanistan in October 2001 to oust the Taliban who were harboring Osama bin Laden and other Al-Qaeda figures linked to the 9-11 attacks. U.S. troop numbers in Afghanistan grew as Washington poured in billions of dollars to fight a Taliban insurgency and fund reconstruction. At one point, U.S. forces numbered 100,000. That had gone down to 4,000 by December last year with the numbers shrinking further this year. According to the U.S. Department of Defense, the total military expenditure in Afghanistan had reached $778 billion. In addition, the U.S. State Department, along with the U.S. Agency for International Development and other government agencies, spent $44 billion on reconstruction. That brings the total cost, based on official data, to $822 billion between 2001 and 2019. As a reporter, I crossed into Afghanistan before U.S. Special Forces launched American attacks in 2001. And over the years, I was embedded with U.S. soldiers in the south, in Kandahar. And I reported in Helmand province, which was the poppy-producing superhighway for drug smugglers and insurgents. And along with being in Kabul, the capital, of course, I was along the Pakistan-Afghan border with, among others, the 101st Airborne, the 82nd Airborne, and 10th Mountain Division. And the vast majority of so-called coalition casualties were, of course, American. I wanted to ask those U.S. soldiers, many of whom I met in the mountains under fire, today how they feel about their government now announcing the U.S. will leave after 20 years. So I did. All right, I want to introduce you to two people uh, who I met a long time ago, back, I believe it was in 2006. So um, five years after U.S. forces had deployed to Afghanistan, uh, one of them was... Uh, along with the Marines, along with the 101st Airborne, there was 10th Mountain Division. And these were soldiers who cycled in and and did what was supposed to be, I think, about a year in Afghanistan. And as we'll hear it, it turned into a lot more than that. So first of all, Francisco Morales. Hi, Francisco. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Francisco was a platoon sergeant. Uh, and William Dunn. Hi, William. Hi, thank you. I appreciate it. How are you doing? Good to talk to you. And William Dunn was a squad leader. Yes, sir. Um, And I met you guys in really, I think I want you to describe it. And Francisco, maybe you can start. But forward operating base Tillman 
which was named after an American football player who was killed in Afghanistan, but actually had never been to Fob Tillman. This was named in, in his honor, but he, he was never deployed to Fob Tillman, as, a, as I understand it. But Fob right. Tillman was in, first of all, in the middle of nowhere. And for me, it was like walking back into kind of like a World War I fort or something. What was that place? So um, Fob Tillman was a smaller base at first, and it was kind of like an outpost for the Special Forces unit who was um, doing missions in and out of that area. And then when they decided to make it uh, more part of the big picture operation, they went ahead and started a, a small uh, firebase camp there um, that was uh, initially taken over by the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, so uh, we took their place and, and we uh, established the, the firebase Tillman that you got used to. And, you know, we uh, made the defenses a lot better, especially up on OP4 and, uh, and OP1, where the high points we, we had soldiers guarding the area. And, and you're absolutely right. It was kind of like, you know, they called it like the last outpost. You know, it was kind of like something from prehistoric wars that you would see, like the guys, like definitely the mountaineers from 10th Mountain back in World War II up in the Alpines or something. But you're absolutely right. It, it seemed like something from an older time of, Hell, William, a hell of a place to call home for about a year, right? Uh, well, um, I, I've I've got kinship with um, with Tillman, uh, along with um, Frank. I was uh, in Triple Deuce at uh, the time in the two thousand three two thousand four deployment. Uh, Frank, I believe you were in, you were in two eight seven. You you stayed hold after that deployment. I was down the road at second um, of the twenty second infantry. Um, and we were running and gunning with the big boys out there. I can tell you what, uh, it was the greatest adventure of my life that, that, uh, first deployment. And, um, I happened to be on the ground, uh, the day Pat Tillman was killed. Um, I remember, um, walking over to my 240 gunner, uh, who, who happens to be from England himself and looking at him. And I said, this isn't good, man. Something, something went wrong because it, it just, so for me in that first deployment, being on the ground um, and seeing that chaos when when Pat Tillman was killed, we we all kind of knew something was wrong. So it, it was only fate that um, in Afghanistan in that 2003-2004 deployment, uh, we caught wind that 287 was going to do something spectacular. Um, 287 was going to start in a unit much like Frank had started in his first unit in the Army, which is... Um, it's almost like the winning the lottery um, because we had a chance to be NCOs at the ground level and get flooded with brand new privates. And then Frank, we, there is no Tomahawks without Frank and there is no Tillman without the Apaches. So it's kind of one of those things where fate brought me to Frank's platoon and then I ended up fighting on Fob Tillman for 485 days for, Fob, for Pat Tillman. That was my that was my victory ride. For sure. 485 days, uh, Francisco, that, that wh why was it 485 days? So, uh, we, you know, we, we did our tour there the, the year and, um, and a lot of stuff happened to us then. And, and we, we flew off into Kuwait, you know, and 24 hours later, one of my Ford observers comes to me, Jared eyed and he's telling me that, you know, we're getting, we're getting sent back. And so, uh, Captain Horrigan and I, we ran to where the phones are at and we both call our wives and they're both in the church. They're sitting across the church from each other, not near each other. And Back we in the, getting US. the word. 
back in the U.S. right on base in the, in the chapel, and they were getting the word that we were getting extended. How uh, everybody in the unit back in Afghanistan knew, but we were the the first group coming back from Afghanistan in Kuwait, and um, we didn't know. So <laughs> we found out literally from our wives that, hey, you guys are being extended. Um, so when we were able to contact our unit, they were telling us that the Fourth Brigade that from Tenth Mountain out of Fort Polk, Louisiana, that replaced us. Things were going bad really quick for them, and um, they brought us back and they kicked them out and sent them home. Yeah, I I think people don't. You got to try and you got to try and track and follow this because the Marines go in, they do six month tours, they go out. You guys were there for yeah. a year, a year yep. of hard hard deployment uh, where you're seeing action constantly or under threat constantly and after a year you're flowing home to Kuwait you tell your wives you're coming home and will um, suddenly you learn in Kuwait where you're just an intermediate staging area for U.S. forces to go home you are going back to Fob Tillman. It, the, the rip out with with that unit um, we were we were pleading we were pleading with them they they you're in the hornet's nest, man. Like the shit's real here. And it, and, it, and that rip was very emotional for us because we had fought tooth and nail. I mean, we, I mean, I, uh, my memory got defragged and wiped. Um, so I don't, I have very specific memories about Fob Tillman in that year, but uh, what I've been doing is reaching out to the fellow Tomahawks and trying to put the pieces in. Uh, but when you talk about that extension, I used that extension in a vignette. I went on to do a lot of uh, instructing after this. And I would I would talk about resilience because that alone was the craziest. I've never heard of another story like this, is that we were intermittent, like we were in between going. So there was a plane that had already landed at Fort Drum. That was a piece of us. Our first sergeant was on that flight uh, to, to prep the, you know, Fort Drum for our return. They locked them. They, uh, so the story goes, the, the plane landed at Wheeler Sackett and the MPs had to escort everybody off. The, the families were standing there with their signs and they, they, home. They, they refueled that plane and or, you know, and the people that were on the ground had two weeks on the ground. They had to get back on a plane. Yeah. There's a plane that flew back to Kuwait. And then Frank and, and our platoon, we like Frank said, the chaplain came in <laughs> And just laid that on us. And then I looked at Frank and he's like, I got to stage some shit. I got to collect the rest of the company mm -hmm. um, in Kuwait to stage you guys going back. So when when the generals came in and but told us, they were like, hey, listen, this is a shit deal. We you, This doesn't happen. So you're going to go and go to a big base and work the gates there. We're going to try to make it as easy as possible. So in this time, there's all kinds of communication coming in. And then that changed in a second. They're like, bullshit, you're going right back to Tillman. So I looked at Frank and I grabbed my squad in a gun team. And Frank was like, I'll stay here because I got to link it with first arm and push everybody to you. So um, Sergeant Ingle and my squad in a gun team uh, flew back to Tillman and we walked into shit. You walked into shit in the, one way. The unit that the unit had broken so many trucks that we'd only been gone a cup a week two. Right. I don't even think. And it was devastation. I'm like, have you guys even gone down that road in a week? Because so, we go down that road every single day. 
So, Frank, can you give me some idea of what you guys lived through in that year and a half um, in terms of, I mean, when I was there, people need to, you know, need to realize that Fob Tillman was as close to the Pakistan border as you could probably get. You guys were constantly getting attacks, some of them sustained attacks, some of them hit and run attacks. When we went on patrol with you, we were told, and I think, I think, Frank, you were probably the one that told me that you have a 50% chance of getting hit today. One of our Humvees will probably get hit on that patrol by an IED or by an ambush. It was that bad there. Yes. And, you know, even back from the beginning, right before we left for drum, you know, initially we were supposed to be in a different outpost. And then um, we got the, the leadership got called in and, and we had to talk to the 82nd Airborne Command who were over there because uh, on that base, OP4 on, on the outpost, which is about uh, six, seven clicks away from the actual Fob Tillman, they got overran and the U.S. soldiers from 82nd had to flee from that area. So we went over there and had this discussion with them about how this is where it's at now for them. So that kind of, I already knew it was going to be a different deployment for my first one. And that's what I told my guys. I don't care what you did on your first one. This is going to be different. I have a feeling it is. So I want you in that right mindset. And sure enough, we were right. So we knew going in that this was the place that was going to be, um, you know, full of contact and, and a lot of enemy uh, around the area and a lot of probing. So we just prepared ourselves for that. And sure enough, I think it was the first day my platoon was out um, doing a little recon patrol OP1. And um, some little kid flagged us down and there was a, a mine in the ground. You know, and this is when we were with part of the 82nd group. And from that point on, they, it was kind of like they were confused on what to do. So we just took over. And sure enough, one of the Afghan uh, National Guardsmen who was with us, you know, without permission, he just went right to the ID site to check it out. And it, it went off. It went off right under his toes. And surprisingly, the guy survived. You know, we were all like, what the heck just happened? But. But that was first day. And we knew from that point on that this is how crazy it's going to get because that area where it went off was essentially a safe area. So right after that, you know, we're up at the OP4. OP4 is being hit by mortars. I mean, in our in artillery rounds. Um, we're starting to go out on patrols and then we're getting ambushed on patrols. And it just seemed that every other day something's going on with, uh, with with our platoons that are out there, our three platoons that are out there. How many soldiers were on the Fob Tillman? I want to say there's probably around 160 60 of us. Right. So, so, so our, in addition to the Fob, if you think yeah. about a bicycle wheel, the Fob is the center, and then you, you have these little OPs that go. I mean, I climbed one of them, uh, and you, I, I, maybe you remember the elevation, but I couldn't breathe for five minutes after we climbed that thing with gear to go and talk to, to soldiers who were up there, probably like eight or nine of them. And then they would also have some Afghan soldiers with them. And those OPs would push out from the FOB at nighttime uh, to see if the, en the enemy was coming in and, and they would protect the FOB, essentially. They were there kind of the, the early warning spot, right? Exactly. Well, talk about OP1 because you spent a lot of time up there. Um, I, I certainly can. And sir, I, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. I've watched your video um, many times. Um, you were talking to my squad leader, McCarthy, on the mm -hmm. OP. 
Um, and I'm so, I'm sorry I hadn't recognized you, but then then the cadence of your voice I was I I, I I've watched it many times. Um, Op one is because uh, I I'd really like to talk about something that kind of gives credibility to this whole Tillman name. Um, there was there was a mission where um, so counterinsurgency was the, was the way to go. We knew that we had great. Uh, Afghan National Army brothers. So, I mean, those guys would fight alongside us anytime, any day, any, they, they, I fell in love with the Afghan culture so much through their soldiers because I saw how they're just amazing people. They're, the, the Afghan people are the most amazing people. Um, so we, we started to make contact on a simple platform of communication with Pakistan because you had mentioned how close we are to Pakistan. So OP1 sits right above Fob Tillman. When you would look down, you can see what we had. And then Big Ugly was across. And if you looked out across the dash to seven and a half clicks, there's OP4. So from OP1 to OP4 is the ridge line. That line of demarcation, you could argue that any minute of any day. There was no line. Uh, but we, we were observing Pakistan, um, uh, much, much like century to century over the line, just watching each other. Um, the communication was supposed to be made through Fob Tillman uh, with the Pakistan uh, commanders. So one of the first missions that we went out, I took I took lead on that one. And I said, well, shit, I'll go do that. Um, so I took a bunch of tomahawks with me. I took 14, th- 14 total. Tomahawks, um, by the way, is the name of your unit. That's that's what Frank Frank. Like I say, there is no there is no platoon without Frank and Frank brought the tomahawks. So the tomahawks became. It was our branding, right? Go ahead. Um, and and it was pretty pretty damn strong branding. Um, so I had taken a thir- uh, thirteen of us um, with simple comms. So I had comms with with um, Tillman, and I had f- comms with OP One for a little bit. Then I dropped comms with OP One because we didn't have a repeater out there yet. So I picked up comms to OP Four to talk to now the fog. Um, I I went into Pakistan and I kept sending up my grid every click or so i would send up my grid and then get um uh, our nested concepts to our commander i would say we're pushing it further we're pushing it further i'm not seeing anybody um we put up a white flag on our antenna we put white flags on our soldiers and advanced over the line because that was our objective was we had to meet these commanders we had to do a, a handshake and say hey this is us this is you are we okay here um this is where the story kind of envelops into itself is um, we recognized, we sent a, a long, uh, uh, far right recognition signal to the Pakistan outpost. Once we got eyes on, they uh, opened up immediately on my 13 people. So in my mind, I had just caused an international incident. Um, so the Pakistani this, this, army fired on your unit. Yes. So, so the 14 of us were pinned down in Pakistan and I had sketchy comms with OP4. Why would OP4 they do this? Why did they do I'm this? Sorry? Why would they sir, do I, Sir, I don't know. We, we, it was our order to meet at a certain grid. We, we stayed for about 30 minutes at that grid, and I asked permission to go in further to see if maybe we're just over another ridge line and we just can't talk to each other because we had no long-term comms. That was the point of the yeah. meeting, was to establish comms. It was a handshake. Hell of a um, handshake. It was, it was a hell of a... So... Um, I, I'm sorry, uh, Shane's not on here because um, 
of the of those 13 people, they had to recount that story for me because I didn't believe it was true. When they opened up on us, they had to have been about 300 meters from us and they had us pinned down in a gully. And I looked at the 13 kids and I said, if you if you fire one fucking round, then I'm going to commit the rest of us to you. So you can't fire here. You can't fire back. I, I can save you from this, but I can't save the world from a nuclear explosion. It's pretty confusing, right? Because the, the Pakistan, yeah, the, the, the 10th Mountain Tomahawk yep. are on one side of the border in, in Afghanistan. The, the Pakistan army is supposed to be stopping Taliban who run back and forth between the two Absolutely. countries and often seek haven in Pakistan. They're supposed Absolutely. to be stopping them from launching attacks or whatever. And here you've come under, not, not only do you not meet the Pakistan army, but, but you, well, actually you do meet them. You meet them head on because they start firing yeah. at you. And yep. so th this was, you know, the stories like these were echoed all the way, you know, up and down the borders between Afghanistan and Pakistan with U.S. forces where the Pakistan army is your friend one day and then a lethal enemy the next. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your, sir, your, your interview, you're talking to McCarthy about that same issue. I mean, you're, McCarthy's push pointing at the border saying this is where they infill and exfil. And you're like, is that not Pakistan? And weren't their intent to cut your head off? And McCarthy was like, yeah, their intent was to come cut our heads off. Um, so I admit those. But this people. is the Taliban, the, the, and he's saying the Taliban. I think, as I recall that interview, it's a yeah. long time ago. But this is a soldier telling me that the Taliban just kind of crossed through Pakistani checkpoints. It, it's a hot right at, at so, night, and the, the Pakistan army doesn't do anything, or sometimes absolutely. during the day as well. So, um, the, so that was the the when, so I'm pinned down in Pakistan. I have sketchy comms with OP4. I had them hold. Um, one five five rounds from Fob Tillman because they were asking, should they? Because uh, do you do you want a fire mission? So I called up a fire mission with my FO Daniel Shank, and we plotted while we were pinned down two or three different positions that we'd be able to break contact. If the, if we couldn't get out of there, then I would have to do that. But I told everybody to to freeze. To everybody go freeze. How did, how did it end? How did you get out of there? Um, I took the radio and I made a diversion, meaning I ran up a side of the hill to create a diversion so they could go because they wouldn't think that somebody would be that stupid. So I ran with the radio in my hand, telling them to call me on the radio because I was, we're Americans. Right. I knew they knew we were Americans, but I would, so I made a mad dash and came up around a gully and started pulling my guys up. And as I pulled them up, I was screaming at them not to shoot back because it was that critical. It was the decisive point. Yeah. So we, we five was artillery. I mean, you could have called in artillery on the Pakistani yes. army. That would have been an international incident. But I mean, yeah. Frank, can you tell me, I mean, you guys are there to fight the Taliban, not the Pakistan army. But there is this constant like battlefield haze there that, that is intentional on many would say on the Pakistani side. Um, I mean, who the hell were you fighting? It seems like you're fighting everybody. You know, there is. It was the invisible line of enemy. Who were they? You know, it's not like they wore black pajama uniform. It's not like they had uh, any kind of markings on their uniform that we can tell that it was the enemy. So essentially, we had to be super disciplined and and patient and follow our rules of engagement um, when we we're dealing with everybody. Because at any second, somebody can pull out a weapon and shoot at us. You know, and for for a sergeant. Staff Sergeant Dunn, who was my squad leader at the time for our platoon, to have that self-discipline to 
to keep his guys from opening up because our guys were taught you get shot at, you shoot back. And this is an incident that you, what do you mean? We can't shoot back. You know, for someone like Sergeant Dunn to be able to make those decisions during that time frame is remarkable. You know, and I just remember being on the other side of that radio, just pissed off because one, we, we I wasn't there or somebody else wasn't there. Two, we couldn't get to him at all to be able to help him. And then three, just the whole situation on this is ridiculous. Why are we here fighting this fight when this is not supposed to be our fight? You so know, what, it, it, uh, it's was, mine. What was the fight, guys? I mean, you are there now five, six, seven, five, six years after 9-11, and you've gone originally to go and kill the, the Al-Qaeda and to stand, help stand up an Afghan government. I mean, what did you just land in the middle of? Did it start to, did it stop making sense at a certain point? It, it, we, we made sense of the point. Um, we're, st we're still in those mountains. We're, we're forever in those beautiful, horrific mountains because what the Tomahawks did was they put it in fucking park. So if you were going to mess with us, we threw it in park. We would not take a, we would, we set the tone out there and they started sending the best of their best after us. And the more they sent after us, we did not care. We put it in park, always put it in park. We wouldn't leave each other. We would, we would fight every, I, the, the numbers um, that were released under the Wiki, WikiLinks um, information, it, it, just to look at those numbers alone, to, to see that one, one company and then one platoon at the tip of the spear, just, we didn't care. We were going to, we were, it's the most beautiful story of all time because everything is connected to everything up there. It's Tillman. It's, it's the plot of land, which he was killed. It, it's, it's on his name. And then the way we had to be extended like that and, and the angels that the firefights that, I mean, goodness, you don't have to look far. I can look down at my iPhone right here and I can see Frank Morales. I just vis visited 287 a year and a half. Well, about a year and a half ago with my children to let them walk through the halls of these heroes. And right there in battalion is Frank Morales' Silver Star. Those things don't, just don't happen. The, the numbers that were there and the kids that we had, and, and they're, it, we're still in those mountains forever. Frank, have you come out of the mountains? I mean, you guys have been back a long time. I mean, uh, the, the, is it hard to transition back? It, it definitely is tough to transition back. Um, when we did get back, you know, my point at that time is where, where do my guys want to go in their career from this point? Are they getting out? Am I setting up, setting them up for success as much as I know how to do that in the military? Because it's definitely different uh, setting a soldier up for success when he gets out. Um, and that's pretty much what I do now. But, um, when I left, when my guys went to do their next missions or next, uh, three years in the service and, and I left there as well. All I could do is think back about what are they doing now? What are the guys who are, who stayed in that battalion deployed again? What are they doing now? Or even being out of the service and thinking about the good times that we had there, the great people. And the, the one cool thing about everything is those interpreters that we had out there, those awesome young men out there, um, a few of them are in the United States right now. They're U.S. citizens. And that's what they did. They they risked their lives to help us. And thank well, God we were able to get that's them. a happy ending and a good story to 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 
to mention, there's a lot of interpreters that have not been brought back. And there's a lot yeah. of interpreters that have been left behind. And there are people right now saying that yeah. you know, they'll be number one on you know, Taliban hit lists as U.S. soldiers leave there. Yeah. Um, and so those, those interpreters are another story. But d- did this war make sense to you then? Does it make sense to you now? You know, at the time, I, I wasn't, I didn't really care much about the bigger picture. You know, my mind was, how as a senior platoon sergeant am I going to help Apache Company and my chain of command and my battalion get through this deployment? Um, as a as a senior leader with Lieutenant Case for the Tomahawk platoon, how am I going to get my guys through this deployment without us um, hurting ourselves? Um, so to think about the bigger picture, it was just way. It wasn't even in my scope of thinking. And even today, I'll tell you that, you know, when people ask me questions about Afghanistan like you have, um, you know, I tell them, don't, I don't, I'm not updated on what's going on because I don't, I don't want bad memories to come back on why we were there. You know, at this point now, we try to keep the good memories of, of the people that were there with us, uh, of the things that we did together without trying to relive any horror moments, you know, or battle the demons in our in our minds, which a lot of us have done. So I, I know I avoided that question, but but avoiding that part of it was a part of trying to help our guys get through, you know, what would be um, a great 16 months to the bad rest of our time where some of our fellow soldiers aren't doing well. You know, we, we thought we were high. We, we thought we were heroes and now we don't feel like that you know we feel a little bit totally different because of you know you forward 12 15 years later and we don't feel like we just came back as superheroes because you don't see yourself that way or you you don't feel that america sees you that way well i would say personally because i don't see myself that way especially um you know we did lose a soldier while we were there on our extension um but, you know, what? and then with the other soldiers in our platoons that aren't doing that well, they're not successful, you know, and the success comes at many levels. But, you know, you know we had we had a young man who ended up being in prison. Um, we had another young man who um, essentially came back and, you know, committed murder. And, and now he's in prison. And you wonder, like, what didn't I do right for those guys to make those decisions that they did when they came back? What did what kind of stuff did our we see that they couldn't get through? You know, wh- why am I why am I handling a little bit different than they are? You know, why aren't we all handling it the same? You know, th- those were the difficulties coming back, especially feeling like I had to carry a burden for the whole platoon to, to be able to be there for them when needed. But now I'm not the only one. I mean, Sergeant Dunn's carrying a burden. Other soldiers who who talk to four or five carry a burden because I don't talk to all the guys. You know, we're kind of like in small little groups. That's what it is now is different tomahawks are carrying burdens for each other to help get each other through this time frame. And William, you know, what, so every now and then. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. And William, what about you? I mean, you you came back. Absolutely. Um, 100%. Did you cope when you came back? Um, I, to, to be able to cope, I, I, um, I, I just retired a year, a year and a half ago. Um, and. Uh, so I had Tillman in my back pocket for the rest of my career to use every single minute out there as a vignette 
and teach. I went on to be a ranger instructor. And, and I'm telling you, the, the, the mountains echo the name Tillman because I told those stories every single night. Um, my last assignment was teaching um, logistics lieutenants in uh, basic ops leader, leader course. Um, and I used Tillman. I used, I used every single bit of Tillman's story, not even, not even the place where we fought at, but Tillman in the case of me being there the first time that, that everything went wrong and the, the way the army can spin a story or the way America looks at us. Um, and then to fight on Tillman and then to continue, I deployed again and again and again. Um, I would not stop deploying. Um, I was hungry. How many times, how many times did you deploy? Five. Why? Five times. How on earth could you deploy five times? I mean, did you just, you obviously didn't feel when you came back, no, it, you feel at home. It, no, it, well, I'm going to tell you, sir, like if, if, if somebody flies planes into a building, I ain't stopping until they, until I'm dead. I'm not stopping. So I'm going to tell you that, that I, for the things I saw in 2003 and 2004, we were close because I was running and gunning with the big boys there. 287, we were three doors down. We were three doors down from completing mission. Tell me what and that's, that's, the, that's, that, that's from, from the, the story would have been completely different and 287 would have got the big one. We were that close. What was the big so one? So I kept I, the, 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 getting the man. Are you talking about he, Osama bin Laden? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I know it. I know it in my heart. I, we were three doors down from that man. I knew where was he? Yeah, it, it, well, that, that I was hoping Shane Shane could shed some light on this because he's the he's the brain. Um, meaning, like like I said, I was just I, I went if there was a mission leading Fob Tillman, I was on it. That it didn't matter if it was a platoon's mission, a squad's mission, another mm -hmm. platoon's ambush. I went. I was hungry. I was going to get him. I, I you're, promised. You're saying Osama bin Laden was very close, and you almost yes. got him. Yeah, I, that, with. With it between the time you were out there, sir, when you looked past OP4, that was Saraconda. That was going to be OP5. OP5 was going to get the job done, and we almost did it. I can promise you. So that was your driver. I mean, you really believed after 9-11 that America America deserved what? Pay, was it payback? Was it security? No, no because it, 20 years of war, I, I've had to sit here on the other side and watch you know, knuckleheads storming a castle, you know, that that's that there is so much blood on our flag. And then we got to sit here as veterans and keep our mouths shut as people prance through and, and do these horrible things. We I can't turn on the news, sir. I can't. I can't. They're tearing each other apart for what? Well, this is a, that, that's another that's another long discussion about yeah. the division that's taking place in America. But I mean, in terms of you deploying five times, yeah, you really wanted to be part of that that fight against Al-Qaeda? No, I wanted to be next to my brothers. If, if somebody was going, I'm going. Because I want to step on that landmine. I want to take one to the face. Because I've buried too many of my own. I've been a KCO officer and I had to put one in the ground. I had, I, I was a first sergeant. I had one of my kids kill themselves. I put so many kids into the ground. If the kids are out there, I'm in the mud with them. That's what an NCO does. And I'm a grunt. So William, do you think that it's good that guys are finally coming home? There's only 2,500 now, but do, do you think that that's an, 
Is it an honorable departure from Afghanistan? Do you, or is it a cut and I, run? I, or how do you the, feel the, now? The way I look at Afghanistan um, is this. Frank, do you remember? Um, I don't want to. I wrote her name down, Frank, and I, I forget. Do you remember? Um, maybe you might remember her name, but she was the one. She was the special one in that village. I don't know. Sorry. Um, so I, I, I hate to get, if Shane was here, he'd remember there was this little girl. She was about my daughter's age. Um, and she was on the spectrum and you could tell, um, and I know what kind of culture it is over there. They're going to get the, they're going to beat the shit out of her and take the teddy bear or the pencil or, or the piece of candy or the chocolate or whatever I can get to her. So every time we went to that village, I would have this secret meeting with her and I would give her all this stuff. And I'd say, you keep this with you. You keep this with you. Well, in the next deployment, sir, that girl was killed by a night letter, meaning they just killed her. The Taliban just killed her. So when I used to walk around the Afghan lands, I saw people. That's what that's what people look like after you've been centuries trying to pound that pavement there. They're a beautiful family. They're a beautiful culture. And to get to get the last 2500 out i think it's been way too long i think it's way overdue but that little girl i'm sorry to hear that story because it's a horrible story that's why we fight for them too we weren't just fighting for our those girls that us forces empowered to go back to yes. school and yes. to leave their homes um you know what they go back to now then it was worth fighting for for me. If we made a little bit of improvement on that culture to show that 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 children are your way through this, and and you got you get, and you got to treat women better than that. Uh, it's but, that just will, totally, but will you know that will be reversed now, right? In all likelihood, in many areas that the Taliban take over and come back to power, and we, women will be locked inside their homes again, and then they they. I used to say, sir, you know what? Uh, instead of dropping bombs, we should have dropped iPhones and put uh, Zubilee Zoo and Sesame Street on those iPhones and have those kids be able to see what what life is. Um, and I and if we could have polluted that place with iPhones specifically just to show Sesame Street for those kids so they could they could see that there's a way out and show them that we have wonderful wonderful things to show them that that a woman can do anything. But, Sir, I was graduating women in ranger school a couple of years later. So what a what a what a contrast between Yeah, exactly. Between exactly. Afghanistan, which is really such a backward place and going unfortunately probably in reverse right now, but Frank, do you have any thoughts on, you know, leaving it all now? US forces leaving there after everything that you fought for. You know, um as I mean, maybe, and, 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 and forgive me the way I set up the question, because a lot of what you fought for was also to get rid of Al-Qaeda and to take out top leaders and to kill bad guys who had used Afghanistan as a launch pad to a, attack America in 9-11. And so some of that mission was accomplished, I think. But I mean, what's your feeling now that, you know, they're walking out, uh, President Biden has ordered them out? You know, what I was about to say is, you know, what I do now is I help veterans transition into school um, for those soldiers and students. And a lot of the a lot of the men and women that I see 
are still bearing the scars from our deployments. Um, so in the civilian side, you know, not thinking as a soldier, yes, I would like this to stop because I'm watching what's going on with our young Americans who's just served their country and what they're dealing with right now. And, and yes, things are getting better for them as far as VA help and whatnot, but still they're, they're bearing scars that they're going to deal with with the rest of their lives and the secondary effect of post-traumatic stress is going to affect their families as well. Um, and there's not enough programs. There's great programs out there, but there's not enough programs in some of these areas to help out people like that. So <laughs> am I glad that this is going to come to an end? Of course. You know, my, my boy's 19. I have a 21-year-old. If they happen to join, you know, they're going to be fighting in the same war that I fought. And that's ridiculous, you know. Um, how we're exiting out, I mean, you know, to me, it reminds me of, like, Vietnam. We were there. We got out. It didn't seem like we didn't. they didn't get the World War II parade. And I don't think we're getting the World War II parade either. So it's like. We, did we accomplish something? Of course we did, because there, there hasn't been another 9-11, you know. Um, and there that's hasn't been really, anything, That's a really poignant point to make. You know, you know and, and we, we did stop them. And there was years in Afghanistan where you didn't hear much about the soldiers passing away and whatnot. And then there's years that were very hot. And it just happened to be that the year that we were there, it was very hot in Afghanistan. So I'm happy that they're coming out. What are we leaving behind? Who knows? You know, all those folks that helped us out, you know, um, I mean, or, or the camps that we left back, you know, if they're, the camps aren't being destroyed, we just built camps for the Taliban to live and train out of. Um, who knows? I, I'm glad the guys are coming back, honestly. Um, there's so much, there's so many other things that are going on right now in the world that I know that we have our hands in and, and are dealing with. Um and you can't stretch us out too far. I mean, we're only we're only as strong as as we can be without being at twenty places in the in the world, you know. So, Will, last word to you. Yeah, uh, give me a subject, sir, and I'll give you a thirty second wrap up. Last word to you on this final closing chapter of Afghanistan, and you can take it wherever you want to. But uh, the last U.S. Troops and NATO forces too, by the way. I mean, the Canadians are already out, but yeah. uh, Germans and and uh, many others, the French, many others who are in there training the Afghan army to stand up a government, an independent nation, they're going to pull out too. So by September 11th this year, uh, that's it. Afghanistan is on its own to a large degree. Absolutely. Okay. So so I'll, I'll end it on this, sir. But if you can capture the last 20 years and plug that in to the future. Cause, cause my wife asked me when I got out and, and God bless her for asking this, but she said, um, what's the army going to do without you? And I turned around and, and I told her because, you know, people like Chris Nunn are still in people like Scott Horgan are still in people like Alex Bowling are still in that, that these warriors are still there and they, they're going to tell that legacy, use this 20 years to rewrite what happened in Vietnam. We need to plug down on veterans. Can you imagine the burden that America has asked their sons and daughters? So if anything comes out of Afghanistan, it's going to learn how to hug a fucking vet. For sure. Thank you, William. William Dunn and Francisco Morales, both uh, sergeants, 
in one of the most remote places I've ever been in. And uh, um, yeah, thank you for your service, as they say. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Dana, I, I thanks sir. I mean, you've been my friend since 2006. You, you kept in contact with this, you know, Hispanic platoon sergeant. I'm not a. I wasn't a big deal, but you and I, for some reason, you just you just clicked with my name and my face, and we've had conversations. And I remember joking with you because you know it was nerve wracking out there, and and I told you, yeah. You know, when you leave, because we didn't get in a firefight when you were with us, even though I told you we had a chance. I said, yep, thanks a lot, because when you leave, we're going to get hit. Every time someone visits us and they leave, we get hit. Sure enough, the next day, our platoon was in a, a firefight, which we all came back okay from. So it's not your fault, Dana. You don't have to feel bad about that one. <laughs> you know, Tomahawks had your back. So, right. yeah, thanks for visiting. Thanks for visiting Apache Company. You know, uh, we enjoyed you being there. Um Thanks for uh, bringing uh, Sergeant Dunn and I um, back to talk with you, uh, representing all the Tomahawks that were in my platoon. You know, I'm sure those guys will, will be glad to hear that, uh, you know, Sergeant Dunn was able to, to represent them well, as well. We'll do it again. We'll stay, we'll stay in yeah. touch. I think there are some more chapters to come. But I, I do have to oh, say yeah. that when you say that, you know, I'm sorry we didn't get hit, I, I have to say that my cameraman said, you know, 50% chance of getting hit on a – on a con, you know, on a convoy patrol that we went out with you guys on, and we didn't get hit. I mean, he seemed sad at the end of that. And I said, "Look, man, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's that a good thing. Yeah. Crazy, right? So, thank you, guys. Thank hey, you. Thank appreciate you. it. There is little rejoicing over the American plan to pull out of the so-called forever war, because it is not claiming victory. The Taliban are doing that." And of course, Afghans view the American departure as ushering back in the dark days of Taliban rule, where women have no rights, where schoolgirls are told to go home because under the Taliban, women can't be educated, where tribal differences will once again lead to a fracture of the country and warlords will once again rule instead of a democratic government, and, and where the Taliban may again allow al-Qaeda and now ISIS to flourish. And that was the point of the war in the first place, to eliminate those groups and stop Afghanistan from being used as a launch pad for terror against the West. I'm Dana Lewis. Thanks for listening to Backstory. Please share this podcast link and I'll talk to you again soon.